to say I'm kind of surprised at how moving this is not to have a congregation here for Holy Thursday Mass. Um, every year I'm always worried that people won't come to these Masses of the Easter Triduum uh, because they're not days of obligation, technically. Um, and most people, if they do come to Mass uh, during this time, it would be Easter Sunday. But I always really don't want people to miss a chance to celebrate these three services that are one long liturgy, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Vigil on Saturday night, because they are the heart of everything, not just our faith, but of the whole universe, of all of time and space, that this mystery that we celebrate in this time of year that leavens and sanctifies all of the rest of the year um, is everything. Chesterton had this uh, insight that all of human understanding can be divided into two basic categories, philosophy and myth. He said that the inchoate human questions that are just in every heart, what am I doing here, who am I, what's the purpose of my life, you can go one of two directions. The myth uh, direction is telling yourself stories, you know, about where you came from, who your ancestors are, or who the gods are that um, are the source of the wind and the rain and the sun and the moon and um, these stories that kind of explain things, etiologies and um, myths and such, um, can kind of color our lives and give life meaning and accentuate certain virtues or values. But ultimately, the human heart knows they're just stories. They don't really tell you what happened, how we got here. And then the other side is philosophy, and in that he means not just like Aristotle and Plato and such, but all of human reason and knowledge, syllogistic understanding like this, therefore that. So science, philosophy, even religious modes of thinking that are categorical and rational are ways of understanding like who are we, what are we doing here, etc. But again, the human heart rebels. It says we're more than just cells or atoms or um, even soul and body and the different categories that we can speak of on different planes of knowledge propositional truth like that can never truly explain the meaning of our existence. There's a longing both for reason and truth on one side, but also story and adventure and um, drama on the other side. And he says, he uses the analogy of a lock, like our hearts are a lock and we're searching for the key. What's going to unlock my heart? What's going to finally fit? Because I'm not going to go figure it out. You don't find a lock and then you build a key to fit it. You go searching in the drawers, looking for whatever key fits it. And he says, in Jesus, the word made flesh, the two come together and form this perfect key that we never could have rationally discovered. We never could have made up with our greatest imagination. He just comes to us and into our hearts and unlocks something. This word which is at the heart of history, at the heart of everything, the word that was spoken from the beginning, begotten, not made, and then who speaks, and his words are creative and make the light and the heavens and the earth, and finally us. This word became flesh, this logos, the heart of all logic, all reason, all truth, who orders everything beautifully and perfectly, enters our story, and the two ways of knowing, the two ways of pursuing, are brought together perfectly in Christ, the Word made flesh. 
And so it's important, I think, in these days, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, um, to attend to every detail of his life. Every movement he makes, every word he utters is everything. He's right here. Not just stories we've told ourselves like the ancient peoples would have told their children the myths to, to explain why things are the way they are, but this word who is ever-present, ever-ancient, ever-new, who's here now in these events, we don't just commemorate but participate in mysteriously because they are eternal. This is the end of history, what we're in right now, the beginning of the new age. And what is he doing? What does Jesus do right before the end, right before he explodes all of time and space, all of our categories, all the limitations of death and sin to, to begin the dawn of a new creation? He gets these guys together for this Passover meal. And of course, that has this, this is just dripping with meaning and history there. Um, but these 12 imperfect men who are weak, who have their faults, he chooses to give them the grace of the priesthood to mediate the mystery of what he's giving to the world, the, the mysteries that save us, the mysteries that set us free from sin, and especially the Eucharist, um, that at the heart of history here in this Last Supper, he doesn't just want to be with us physically. It's not enough for the word to come to us so intimately as a baby in a manger or a man um, in Nazareth or Jerusalem, embracing the leper, forgiving the sinner. He wants to not just be intimate like a friend outside of me, but as intimate as nourish, intimate to me as nourishment is to my bones, to be my soul, to be my heart, to be me, to commune with me in a way that I could never have imagined, communing with anyone, much less God himself. And yet he gives us this grace, this, this Eucharist, tonight and every day, every Sunday. And I think we feel it, especially with nobody in the church here, um, or not nearly as many as we would hope. We long for the day, certainly, when we can start having public masses again, but it makes us long even more, I think, for that true communion. Because here's the thing, the, the kingdom, we often think of like the world is the fact, the world is the reality, the world as it is, conditioned by sin, by... Um, apathy, spiritual apathy, uh, why we have to beg people to come to Mass even though it's the, the greatest thing on earth, the only thing that, on earth that matters. Um, we think that's the fact, the reality. And the kingdom is this ideal that we're striving for. Like maybe if we're persuasive enough, if we present the gospel in a way that, that is compelling enough, then we will create the kingdom of God somehow or organize it here. But it's the reverse. The kingdom is the fact. The Eucharist is communion. We are already in communion with Jesus. Um, he's here and he's not going anywhere. But that communion is not yet fully realized. That's the end of history and the dawn of the new age is we're in this dynamic tension of the already but not yet. There's nothing more that we need. We have everything in Jesus. The word has come to unlock the doors of our hearts to open us up to the reality of who we are, why we're here, where we're going. And yet that 
needs to penetrate deeply into me. He need, we need to open that door widely so that Jesus can come in and transform absolutely everything about me so that I can become me, become who he's made me to be, not who I've chosen to be or who I pretend to be, but actually me, actually you, to unlock the secrets of my heart and to, to open me up to the fullness of life that's offered to me in Jesus. So in this Mass, we feel that tension, I think, very poignantly tonight, um, that it's already here, Jesus is here, but his body is not yet fully grown. We, we need the whole body here uh, to really image, to really show us what's really given to us in this great mystery.